0: It's good to never know what to do with that Bible. It's good to be back with you. Um, Last time I was here was July the 29th, and I taught a lesson on prayer, uh, and we prayed for, and I appreciate your prayers for my family. Uh, Two days after I was here, my daughter-in-law gave birth to twins, and uh, unfortunately, or, or in God's providence, one of the twins did not make it. Uh, but uh, as my son says, he's now in heaven. And we rejoice uh, that the other twin, Cole, is growing well. And um, he is now at 4 pounds 13 ounces. When he was born, he was <clears throat> 2 pounds 9 ounces. So he's growing well. And uh, he's got a little apnea problem, but they say that's a preemie thing and not to be worried. So uh, we're just very, very thankful for, for him, and my daughter-in-law and my son are doing great. So thank you all for your prayers. I want to, uh, if you have a Bible on your, on your table, I think it's page 983, it's Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to be teaching this September, uh, these four Wednesdays on Ephesians. But I want to read for you Colossians 1, 15 through 20 which is what Andy preached on Sunday. And then I want to go back a couple of pages to Ephesians chapter 1, and what I want to do is hopefully show you how Ephesians, as a, a text, mirrors Colossians, and Colossians mirrors Ephesians. So we're going to take what, a little bit of what Andy did on Sunday and then show you how it fits together today and look at it in Ephesians. But let me read... Colossians 1, 15 through 20, and then open us with prayer. Colossians 1, 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. making peace by the blood of his cross. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for this time, for this food, for the fellowship and love that we share because of Christ and because of his reconciliation and reconciling work done for us on the cross. And so now, Father, as we look to your word, speak to us, encourage us, show us where we stand because of Christ and it's in his name that we pray amen mirrors reflect images there's a mirror a couple of them on the back wall I don't know that I've ever noticed that those were mirrors before I'm not very observant I walk by mirrors a lot of times and I don't even pay attention and that's pretty obvious sometimes because I'll 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 come in the house and my wife will say you haven't looked in a mirror in a while have you And I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, you got this big old glob of smut or grease on your face where I've been working on something, and I haven't looked in a mirror. I didn't even know I had that stuff on my face. But mirrors reflect images. And the images are the same, but they're different. If you look in a mirror and you hold up your right hand, in the mirror it appears as if it were your left hand. If you hold up your left hand... In a mirror. In the mirror, it appears as if it were your right hand. So things are similar but different. Well, there are two books of the Bible, Ephesians and Colossians, that were written at about the same time to two very different churches, yet with language that mirrors or images one with the other. The language in Ephesians and the language in Colossians mirror one with the other. Um, I propose that Ephesians is a clear mirror of the work of the person of Christ and it gives us our standing for who we are in Christ. Let me look at a few things to show you how the two books are so similar. First of all, Colossians is four chapters and Ephesians is six chapters. I know that doesn't sound like they're very similar, but they're both even numbers. Um, Each book is written by Paul to a particular church that he planted, and each book is broken into two equal parts. Colossians 1 and 2 go together, and Colossians 3 and 4 go together. Same with Ephesians 1 through 3 and 4 through 6. And each book has a doctrinal half and a practical half. Half. So here's how the two books. That's how the two books are similar. Here's how the two are different, uh, yet still mirror images. In Colossians, Paul stresses the preeminence of the person of Christ. In Ephesians, Paul Paul aims to make Christians aware of their position in Christ. In the first half of the book of Colossians, Paul emphasizes the supremacy of Christ and what Christ did for us. In the first half of Ephesians, Paul stresses the position of the Christian and what privileges the Christian has. So Colossians is Christ and what he did, and Ephesians is Christians and what or who we are. Christ and what he did, Christians and what or who we are. These are mirror images, both for the glory of God. and We're going to see that. The second half of Colossians, Paul emphasizes the necessity of submission to Christ and what Christ does through us. In the second half of Ephesians, Paul gives us the practice of the Christian and the responsibility of the Christian. There is submission and Christ doing in Colossians, and there is practice and our responsibility in Ephesians. And these, again, are mirror images. Now, if all this sounds a little confusing, remember that we believe that no scripture is of any private interpretation. 2 Peter 1.20. You can't just teach submission from Colossians without teaching responsibility from Ephesians. And you can't teach the position of the Christian from Ephesians without the sufficiency of Christ in Colossians. The left is the right, and the right is the left. And they seem contradictory. But Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So let me... Take Ephesians section by section. If you'll turn back in your Bibles just a couple of pages to Ephesians chapter 1. Let me take Ephesians section by section, and we're going to go through this quickly um, because I know some of you are in a hurry. So I I want to get you out of here. Let me take it piece by piece. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints, are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Here we have a salutation. It's the author, it's the recipient, and a blessing. And this address, it's as common in Paul's letters, this, this, this salutation. He always starts out with a salutation. But in this address, it is to the saints. The saints. Romans was written to those who are loved by God. Romans 1 7. First Corinthians is to the church sanctified and called to be saints. Verse 7 of verse twelve uh, verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 1. And Second Corinthians is to the same church, and they are referred to the church with all the saints. Galatians is to the churches in the region of galatia first and second thessalonians is simply to the churches there or to the church that's there and obviously paul's letters to first and second timothy titus and philemon are written to individual men only philip only only colossians and ephesians are addressed to the saints so they have a similarity there and paul has a specific message for individuals, believers, who need to know one thing, Christ. So let's look at verses 3 through 14, and there are three characteristics that establish each individual standing that we'll see here. We are in Christ, number one, chosen by the Father, number two, redeemed by the Son, and number three, sealed by the Spirit the work of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all coming together in an amazing series of working verbs. Working verbs. There's verbiage here, language here, that we need to hear what God is doing and God has done as we read these texts. So let me read verses three through six. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us In Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just stop right there with verse 3. God has blessed us in Christ. God has blessed us in Christ. That's a verb. That's an action. He has blessed us. Not just on earth, but in heavenly places with spiritual blessings. Verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He chose us. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world as part of his eternal decree. This speaks to the eternity of God. Now, I don't have enough time to go through this, but you guys understand what eternity is, right? You know what infinite means? If something is infinite, that means if it is infinite, if God is infinite in existence, that means that He exists fully, eternally, infinitely before this moment in time, and He exists fully and completely, infinitely forward from this point in time, all at the same time. God transcends time. I heard one. I read one commentator, uh, uh, Herman Bavink, said that. God doesn't foreknow anything. God knows everything. God doesn't foreknow anything. He knows everything. He knows it completely because there is no measure of time in an infinite being. We don't have time to go through all that. God does, but we don't. God chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. That we should be holy and blameless. In verse 5, he predestined us. Another verb. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Having chosen us, he predestined us for adoption. He picked us to be his sons and daughters before we existed. Why? Why did he pick us? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, why did God pick you? Was it because you were so good looking? Was it because you were so smart? Was it because you were going to accomplish such great things? Because you were going to be so famous? There's lots of famous people here. Was it because you were going to write amazing books that people were going to quote you on for years and years and years? Was it all these things that God, God picked you before the foundation of the world because of what you were going to be? No. Verse 6. He chose us to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. We were chosen, predestined, adop- adopted to the praise of his glorious grace. His glory. That his grace would be praised not only by us, but in the highest heavens. That his grace would be praised to the highest heavens. So that's the first part. Verses 3 through 6, that we are chosen by the Father. Second, we are redeemed by the Son. Verses 7 through 12. Let me read verses 7 through 10. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. This sounds an awful lot like what we read in Colossians. In him, in Christ, we have been redeemed. It's not something that might come or that we hope will come. If you are in Christ, you have been bought. You have been redeemed by Christ, by his blood, shed for us on the cross. And that redemption is by grace, he says, lavished upon us. What is lavished? Lavished. Lavished. It is absolutely Totally undeserved grace. You lavished upon, God lavished upon you his grace. You didn't deserve any of it. What we all deserve is damnation. What we all deserve is condemnation. We're all sinners. We're all fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us deserve any of this grace. But if you're a believer in Christ, God has poured it out upon you, in, in a measure that you can't describe, and Paul can only use the word lavish as something extravagant, something beyond measure. And he did this, it says, in all wisdom, to make known the mystery of his will and according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. God had a purpose from the, before the foundation of the world. He set forth this purpose. And you are part of this purpose if you're a believer. You're part of this purpose that God would make known this mystery. And that mystery is that God would save anybody, let alone Gentiles, people outside the people of Israel. We'll get to that more later. It's all part of an incredible plan to unite all things in him, in Christ, in heaven and on earth. We fell at creation. At the fall, we were separated from and denied access to the holy and righteous and perfect God. But God, in his great wisdom, purposed to redeem us in Christ and to bring us back into that unity which we once had. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So we have been called, chosen, adopted, and redeemed by Christ We who have been called, chosen, adopted, and redeemed by Christ have in him obtained an inheritance. We have obtained it. It's not something we're waiting for. Our inheritance is not something we're saying, oh, maybe one day it'll come. We have it. It's already ours. We already have it. And we aren't waiting for something more as those who are saints. And we know this because it is part of the plan set forth by the one who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God works all things according to the counsel of his will. This past month and a half has revealed an awful lot to me about how unwilling I am to believe that line sometimes. I don't want to believe it's God's will that my grandson didn't make it. But all things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. And all things work according to the counsel of the will of God. All things. God would not be God... If our inheritance might somehow be in jeopardy, he is God and his plans, purposes, and counsels cannot fail. And that purpose is again to the praise of his glory. All, of the, all that God does, all that happens is to the praise of God's glory. Third, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son according to his perfect plan, and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Verses 13 and 14. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And that seal is a permanent seal, and it cannot be broken. When God guarantees something, it is guaranteed permanently and forever. When God guarantees something, it is guaranteed permanently and forever. So that's it. That's all I really want to say. Ephesians 1, 1 through 14 reflects upon the believer what Colossians 1, 15 through 20 says, that Christ made all things, created all things for himself, that he is before all things, that in all things, including our salvation, he might be preeminent. Christ is sufficient. His work is absolutely complete. Christ is the reconciling redeemer. And when the image of Christ is poured out on and reflected to the believer, all that he is and all that he has done is now who we are in Christ. All that he is and all that he has done is now who we are in Christ. We started out by talking about mirrors. Some of y'all probably have tried to get dressed in a dark room because you didn't want to wake your wife up. I don't know about y'all, your husband, I don't know. I can remember when Ellen and I first got married, I had to you know, get up a lot earlier than her. I was farming, and I would try to be quiet and get dressed in a dark room, and it's hard to see. And if you look in a mirror in the dark, you can't see anything. You can't see the mirror. The mirror is of absolutely no use in a dark room. But if you're a Christian here, God has given you that light, a light to see by. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shined into our hearts. To give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God shone his light into your life to show you what you couldn't see. You would look in the mirror and you didn't see, you had no clue. God wants you to see his glory as he has chosen you, redeemed you, and sealed you for that glory. Jonathan Edwards' sermon, A Divine and Supernatural Light, Immediately Imparted to the Souls of Men, is all about that text in 2 Corinthians 4.6. But he says in that sermon, This light is such as effectually influences the inclination and changes the nature of the soul. It assimilates our nature to the divine nature. This light assimilates our nature to the divine nature. It assimilates the person of a Christian into the person of Christ. And he says it changes the soul into the image of the same glory that is beheld. Second Corinthians 3.18 But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, beholding as in a mirror... The glory of the Lord. We all are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. This knowledge will wean from the world and raise the inclination to heavenly things. It will turn the heart to God as the fountain of good and to choose him for the only portion. This light and this only will bring the soul to a saving close with Christ. This light and this only will bring the soul to a saving close with Christ. If you're not a Christian here today, remember God works all things according to the counsel of his own will. And you are here by that will. Pray that the Lord will give to you light to see his glory, to hear his calling, and to understand your need for a Savior and Redeemer from all your sins, and turn to God as the fountain of good and as your only portion. Let me close our time with prayer. Father God, we thank you for all that you are for us in Christ. I say that so often in prayer, and too often I fail to realize just how heavy those words are. Father, you are everything for us. We could not see our sin. We would not know our need for a Savior. We would not have any hope of any eternal life, let alone life in this world, were it not for your light shown into our hearts. And because of the work of Christ and who he is, We have been made saints who believe in Christ. Oh, Father, thank you for that saving work. And give us, as we go from this place today, give us hearts for other people. Father, call us to be witnesses to others, that they would hear your word, and that they would know your call, and that they would know your salvation in Christ, and that they would know the joy absolute unabashed joy of trusting you who works all things after the counsel of your own will to the praise of your glory. Father, again, thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.